Pastors Larry and Tiz Huck welcome you to another Larry Huck Ministries podcast. We pray this teaching will fill you with God's wisdom, anointing, and revelation knowledge. Thank you for your prayers and faithful support. Fred is the CEO of the Beck Group, which is a global, right, Fred? It's it's global, um, multi-billion dollar business. Fred is also the first black president of the United States U.S. Golf Association. Um, First black president ever. Of course, Fred, like me, married up because I met Abigail, and she is just a, a, a sweetheart. You're also on the, bo- the board of directors for FedEx Corporation. Fred is um, an amazingly successful, successful man. And he's very bold in saying that success ties directly in with his relationship with Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior. So it's an honor to have him come. Would you welcome our good friend, Fred Perpal, as he comes to minister to us. Amen. Thank you, my brother. Thank you, thank you, thank you. I told you he was tall and good looking. I told you that. You know, a joke, I was going to ask, originally, Fred was just going to come up and, and speak to us. But we were uh, in the back and we were talking and he said, why don't we have kind of a fireside chat and do what we're doing here? He said, I think it'd be, it'd be, go, it'd be great to do this. And so I'm honored to be able to sit with you. Um, the first thing that grabbed me was when we met was Fred's kindness. He was just, I mean, this, this guy is unbelievably successful. And, but he just acted like one of the guys. And just normal, and I said this jokingly, but it gripped me. He said, I want to interview the pastor. I want to interview. Here's a, a young, tall, handsome black man, and he introduced me to a man that was his mentor, which was a short, white, not so good looking <laughs> old white guy. And I thought, this is something that we've stood for years and years uh, on. on um, Jesus said, they'll know that you're my disciples and that you have love for one another. And so I saw that with you. I felt that with you. Um, We were talking in the back. And um, go anywhere you want with this, Fred. But we were talking. I think one of the things that is uh, America has not been fast enough to get past is racism. And uh, I was reading an article on you that was written by a Dallas newspaper. And it says that in the neighborhood you moved into, you were pulled over seven times by the police. And then today, Abby, is it okay to say Abby? (laughs) Abby was pulled over and made to sit on the grass for over an hour, not saying why you were pulled over and eventually took your car, and uh, you made a statement that I'm really glad you made that you have a lot of white friends that drive a lot worse than you do, <laughs> and wasn't pulled over. Explain to us what, what, what went on, what happened, and why. Well, good morning, church. 
And uh, Pastor Larry and Tiz, I just want to say before we even start, uh, thank you. It's an honor to be here. An honor. Um, you know, in my professional capacity, I have teams of people that literally help me prepare anywhere I go for what I will say. And I, I have to tell you that I woke up uh, yesterday morning feeling a tinge bit of incompetency, <laughs> you know, to be here next to such an esteemed man oh. of God and leader in faith. And, you know, for the morning, I, yesterday morning I was walking around, and I don't get nervous often when I have to speak, but I was finding myself really, really nervous. And, you know, what should I say and how could I share my story? And then, like with most of our life, I, I just closed my eyes. And I felt this calm come over me. And it's the same calm I was feeling back there when we oh, were talking. Wow. That's why I said, let's do this together. Yeah. So together is a wonderful place to be. Yes, amen. And so, amen. thank you. You know... I wish I could come up here and tell you my faith journey was just like snap, you know. Uh, the facts are I was born in a Christian home to two God-fearing parents. I went to church several times a week for most of my formative years. I used to joke with my kids, if the average American goes to church once a week and they live to 76 and I was 35, that if I never went to church again, I still would have gone That's to right. double the amount <laughs> of church. Right. That's right. So I feel really home in the church and in the faith. And it is hard to connect the success I've had in my life without connecting it to being the son of a praying mother mm. and mm. to be uh, beneficiaries of her grace and my father's grace. The Bible says... The sins of parents fall on children. Will the blessings of parents also Amen. fall on children? Amen. So I know this Amen. is not about me. All of us have had unique lives, and I have had a life that even if I had dreamed about this life, I couldn't dream of this life. Sometimes when I sit and I try to tell my story, I literally say, they wouldn't believe that because even in the movie, they wouldn't write that. Yeah. I grew up in the inner city. My parents used faith, education, and sports to distract us from everything going on in our neighborhood. Mm. But you know, you get to a stage in life, you're 15, 16, your parents can't do it for you. And like many of the kids I grew up with, I found the street, and my friends found the street. But even when we were not doing the right thing, there was always this little voice on my shoulder keeping me from going really far off the path. And I believe God put sports in my life, and that kept me in a constructive setting. I was fortunate to go off to college at 18. Coincidentally, I met Abby at 18. <laughs> um, and I had a wonderful education because I had parents that valued education. My mother worked at a country club where there were no African-Americans, there were no black people. But every day she would come home and tell me the stories of these very extraordinary mm. folks that she was serving. 
And so even before I knew what golf was, golf was affecting me because these men at that club would start a scholarship fund to help me go to college. And I, it is very hard for me to look at all of the good white people in our community as separate from me because my parents have been modeling what it is to live an integrated life mm. my entire life. You know, our faith can keep us on the track. And even when we're not doing the right thing, we always know what the right thing is. By the time I was 25, my four closest friends in my neighborhood had all been murdered. Mm. My brother was also murdered. And so you get into the middle of your life and you have a tremendous amount of survivor's guilt. Why me? Why was it me that made it out? Yeah. And like many people, we use above our neck. So I try to use my intellect to actually describe what it was unique in me that allowed me to make it out. And because of that deep loneliness and that survivor's guilt, I just used my brain to try to accumulate as much as I could in order to satisfy that hole mm. in my heart. Mm. And so if you worked with me in my 20s, you could not outwork me. Yeah. If you worked 14-hour days, I'd work 16-hour days. If you would work six days a week, I'd work seven. And what happens when you accumulate all the success and you rack up all of the accolades and you become a CEO in your 30s and people write stories about you? And what happens when you get all of what you wanted but you still don't have what you need? Mm. 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 And then you realize only God. Wow. Wow. Only well God can fill that hole. Well put. Well put. Wow. When you talk to me today about racism in America, we have to be honest that America and its history has been racist. Yeah. And if you can't, in all good faith, just describe that even though we are the greatest country on earth, we are not a perfect country. I used to joke with all my black friends. I said, listen now, listen. This country is not perfect, but I've been black all over the world, and this is still the best place to be black. Oh, man. That's well put. That's well put. There is a group of people in America today that see all that is right about America. They see the history. They see the structure. They see that we have generally been on the side of goodness. We have put ourselves in harm's way to help and to save and to rescue when no one else would. They see the greatness of America, and they want to preserve that, yeah. and they are not wrong. Amen. Yeah. But there, there is also a group of people that have been the victims of this country. They see and they have experienced, and I have experienced, what is broken about this country. And they would like to change that. Yeah. And they are not wrong. Right. Right. So we, right. we have to find spaces like this where we can have honest 
conversations about how we bring these two thoughts and these two groups together. And I think the only way that happens is through love. Yeah, yeah. And I have decided to stick with love. Yeah, yeah. So love is the only key. Marvin, let me ask ask you something, and I want you to keep going with that if, if you would. You're unbelievably, that's a terrible word to say in church, unbelievably successful man. Mm. live in Highland Park, Yep. and you said something in the back there that just because there's success, it doesn't automatically remove yep. that element of racism. You, yep. you saw that being pulled over by the police. How do you handle that? What do we do about that? How yep. do we fix that? Well, you know, one of the things that I think is a big misnomer, particularly for those of us who are black and who have achieved there is no achievement that will allow you to run away from your blackness. And even when you think that maybe I could build a big house and maybe I can hire a security officer, maybe, maybe I can have people, and I literally at times have, go ahead and tell people who is coming so that they would be ready for me. There is no insulation you can put up with material success. You mean go ahead and tell people a black man is coming? <laughs> yeah, a black man is coming, a successful man is coming. You know, in my 20s, I used to dress impeccably well only because I wanted you to treat me a certain way. Mm. I tried to outdress my blackness. Then when I got into my 30s, I tried to surround myself with material things so that you would know, hey, look, man, I've been successful. Wow. You're going to treat me a certain way. And most of my black friends in here know what I'm talking about. Yeah. And you come to realize that your success, even if it has a small way of rescuing you, it cannot rescue the people you love. Mm. It cannot rescue your kids. Mm. It, not, it cannot protect you and insulate you from racism. When we moved into Highland Park, we wanted to make a statement. I wanted to make a statement. I came back to Dallas. I was the CEO of a multi you know, national company. I said, where do my parents live? They say they live, most of them live in that neighborhood. I said, great, we're going to live in that neighborhood. I did not know what I was signing my kids up for. Mm -hmm. I did not know what we were signing up for. So after being pulled over seven times in one year, I literally had enough. I drove down. I said, I'm here to see the mayor. Well, you got an appointment? I go, no, I'll wait. And, uh, I got in, I said, Mayor, I, I just wanted to come down and introduce myself because me and my family, we live right in the center of town. We pay taxes. We're citizens. We're members of this community, and we're going to be here. So I would just like, if you need to put a picture of our family up to let everyone know, nah. we are going to be in this community because here's the thing. We were not doing that only for ourselves. Yes. We were doing yes. that to model for the entire community yes. what could be done. Amen. The leaders must go first. If those of us that have the resources, that have the reputation, if we won't go first and take some discomfort for our community, who will go first? Amen. We were not doing that only to inspire the black people in our neighborhood and in our city. We were doing that also to model for all the good white people that nothing went wrong And nothing went worse in the community when we came to town. In fact, it probably got a little better. Yeah. So, so 
So we have to be willing to live the life we think as it should be. If we think we ought to live with each other, then we ought to live with each other. If we think life is better when we're together, then we need to be together. And we can't keep saying we want a unified country while we won't live in a unified way. Excellent. And so for me, I'm proud to actually model that. I'm proud my daughter Allie is here today. I, I, I used to say to Allie and Ava, my two kids, we didn't mean to sign them up yeah. for this. Yeah. But we're very proud that they've learned to live this way. Because yeah. leadership, leadership is not what you talk about. Leadership is what you actually do. Oh, excellent. And, and I believe Christ in his church did not want to build a church to separate us from each other. That's right. I believe Christ in his church wants the body of Christ to be together. And together is a wonderful place Amen. to be. Amen. You know, um, we're talking in the back. I wrote a book several years ago on the seven curses that block the blessing. Yep. And, and the reason I wrote that is to talk about seven things that are in the church on Sunday morning that hold God's blessing back. And the first one I wrote was on racism because it's known that America is more racially divided on Sunday morning mm. than it is any other time. Mm. And the Bible says a curse without a cause shall not come. In other words, there's a reason why a curse has an open door. And I believe racism, what you said is as, as leaders, we have to model the answer, not just talk about it. We have to model it. When I first came to Dallas, I was told by great religious leaders in Dallas, um, because our church in Portland was half white, half black. And they said, you can't do that in Dallas. You, you won't be able to do that. If you, if you try to build a multiracial church, uh, it won't work. And I said, that's the church that Jesus would have. And, uh, and so uh, can you address how the church can be an answer to breaking that curse of racism. A kingdom divided against itself won't stand. Yeah. And so how can, we, how can we as a church break that curse and be an example of, as leaders of, they'll know you're my disciples and that you love one another. Instead, you love white people, you love black people, you love one another because we're all made in the image of God. Can yeah. you address that? Well, you know, whenever Pharaoh wanted to keep people in slavery, he kept the slaves fighting amongst themselves. Come on. Come on. That's exactly Because right. whenever the slaves got together, that's the beginning of getting out of slavery. Yeah. When we have a black church and a white church and a Methodist church and an Episcopal church, when we separate ourselves and segment ourselves as a church or as a community, we are literally weakening if I slap you with a hand, it might sting you. But if I had a bald fist and it was one, it has the potential to knock you come out. Come on, come on. And so well, for me, early in my career as an architect, we actually had the assignment to design and build some of the largest congregations in America. Yeah. That was one of our jobs. And I won't call any names, but some of the largest churches in Texas 
we have built. Yeah. I had the opportunity to move around the country and really around the world and see some of the largest congregations. And invariably, many of them were very homogenous. There were congregations of 95% black people. There were congregations of 99% white people. And I just don't feel that that is a congruent place to be or a way of life. I feel like when we are with each other, we're never separated from each other. Right. People who know each other can trust each other. People who trust each other can actually accomplish extraordinary things. And my view has always been that I want to live my life that way. It's very hard for me to sit up here and make people things. All of my great mentors in my career early on were older white men. They literally showed me a life that I could not show myself. Wow. wow. My parents lived check to check. I did not know about balancing checkbooks, saving for retirement, yeah. building an estate. I, I did not know how to do any of these things. I learned all of that from really good white men. Mm. So for me, the language of love is not what we talk about, but is how we live. And so, and so hate is just too big a burden to bear. Yeah. So even when they oh, were pulling good. me over, good. even when they were stopping my car, even when they took my wife out of her car, I would not make them make me mm. like them. Come on, come on, come on. Come on. Darkness cannot put out darkness. No. Only light can do that. Wow. And wow. so, and so I don't mean, <laughs> by the way, I came here and said, I'm not going to preach today because, <laughs> no, <yeah. laughs> but I just want to share, but, but I, I feel the light we need is the light of relationship. Amen. I feel what we need in this world today is more love and togetherness. I feel like if you were coming to my home, I want to be better in my home than I am in public. Mm. You know, there are many mm. leaders, there are mm. many leaders, if you pull that curtain back, how they live behind the curtain is different from how they live in front of yeah, the curtain. That's right, that's right. And I have had that at times, you know, where I want to be perfect out in the world. And the people that know you the least get the best of you. Mm, mm. And the people that know you the best get the least yeah. of you. And this is the role of faith. You know, Abby, I always say to Abby sitting right here, I want her to always have the best of me. That wasn't always the case, but this is the renewal of faith to say, it is an evidence of what we do, not what we talk about. Yeah. So for me, I've made sense of my life. Why did God allow me to get out of that inner city neighborhood? Why was I the one? And if you wrote this up in a movie and say, you know, all of my friends were shot and killed and I made it out, yeah. they would say, oh, Pastor Larry, that's, that's, yeah. a, little, that's a little too yeah. much. But that is in fact the truth. Yeah. That is the truth, not a fact. That's the fact and the truth. But the truth 
what takes that fact and make it the truth is the relatedness of those facts. If, if I can help someone as I pass along, if I could just inspire someone with a word or a song, if I could model life as the master taught, then my living will not be in vain. Wow. That's awesome. And I don't want to walk into my company and tell them I'm a Christian. I want them to experience Christ by the way I operate the company. Come on. Come on. You are, you are the first black man <laughs> to be the U.S. Golf Association president. As busy as you are, and I looked up this company and... I told Tiz on the way in, I said, am I reading this right? The, the profit margin on your com company that you're the CEO over is astronomical. It's, we it's, do okay. Yeah. You, yeah. <laughs> we got a lot of shareholders, though. We got a lot of shareholders. Yeah. <laughs> so as busy as you are doing that, why was it important for you to go into the golf, US, U.S. Golf Association? Yeah, you know, it's interesting. I think in, the, in my 30s, um, to be a leader, to be a leader in America is lonely. You know this, Pastor. Yeah. It's very lonely. And I was, at a time, not my best self. I was looking for ways not to be lonely. And so I found golf. And Abby always tells me, she said, you know, you have a leadership failure problem. I said, what do you mean by that? She goes, everything you get involved with, you fail to miss the meetings and you end up leading. <laughs> and so I threw myself into golf. And I recognized as I got into the game of elite golf that there were no black people there. Mm. There was Tiger Woods, maybe the most famous golfer the in golf, our country yeah. and in our world. But when you would walk into the ordinary environments of golf, the ordinary clubs, you didn't, I did not see myself. And so we wanted to build in Dallas a, a, a place where we could have more inclusion within the game, kind of like what you're doing yeah. with your church. Yeah. And that kind of led me down a path that, you know, if we could build an environment where people would literally spend time together across socioeconomic boundaries, and if we could build an environment that literally could serve the community that we could have a better outcome. And so we built Trinity Forest Golf Club here in Dallas. We had four tenants. One of them was to actually give back to the community through hosting charitable golf events. We wanted to hire the kids in the community. We wanted to groom them. We wanted to bring all of the elite white friends I talked about down to South Dallas and mm. let them experience what it was like to be with the community. And so... Uh, that led to more national leadership, eventually getting onto the board of the USGA. And for me, this is also a little bit of a ministry. Because if we can take all of the goodness in the game of golf, and let me tell you, wherever you go in this country, you take me to the elite golf places, I'm going to show you the elite people in that town. Right. But if we can take all of that goodness inside the game of golf and share it back out into our community... Mm and change lives and build closer relationships, then golf itself can be an apparatus wow. for goodness and wow. for kingdom. That's so awesome. That's what we're trying to do yeah. with the United States Golf Association. And I'm proud. Yeah. I'm proud of the game of golf. I'm proud of 
the interest in sharing more of that goodness back into our community. And I hope, you know, it's not, it's okay to be the first, but it's not okay to be the last. Yeah. Come on. And I hope Come there on. will be a lot of young kids coming yeah. behind who will serve in this role one day. Amen. Yeah. That's awesome. That's awesome. Let me ask you uh, a question a little bit, a little bit uh, aside from what we've been talking about. How do you, as an extremely successful, busy man, how do you balance family with your business life? Yeah. Hey. Oh. <laughs> I'm, I'm like, she's like, let's hear this answer. <laughs> Abby gave me that, yeah, by yeah, the way. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Well, you know, I think, I have to tell you um, on this topic, I don't believe in work-life balance. I don't believe there's a work me and a home me. Just like I don't believe there's a Christian church me and a professional me. Come on, I believe wherever I am, there I am. And so for me, I have long ago given up on balancing my work and my life. I try to mm. integrate my work into my life. Excellent. And so if I have to go to a board meeting in Miami, that might be a two-day vacation for Abby. Yeah. If I have to go to the U.S. Women's Open at Pebble Beach, that might actually be the family vacation. And bring your friend pastor along. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just saying. I'm just saying. <laughs> and, so, and so I think... I, I think and I hope, I hope that when my family reflects and the head hits the pillow, they would say all of our life have been elevated through the experience. And the work that you do should not take you away from the people that you love. That's awesome. Amen. The work that you do should take you closer to the people that you love. That's awesome. The work that you do should not take you away from the life that you are trying to build. The work that you do should bring you closer to the life that you want. And mm. I hope that that would be the experience of my family and of my friends. And I will tell you, the way I'm talking to you is the way I talk at work. Yeah. The way I'm talking to you is the exact way I talk to my friends and family there. How good is your life when you can just be you? Yeah. Yeah, that's awesome. I, I got to tell you, I think that's the best answer I've ever heard on that, on that question. You don't balance it. You integrate yeah. it. It's, it. You're not a different person at church on Sunday that you are at work on Monday. You're not a different person at work than you are when you come home See, Pastor, with your for family. Black, for black people, and I, this used to happen to me, particularly in my 20s, we have this term in black America called code switching. And so I'm home with my boys, and I'm one friend. It's like, pop, 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 pop. Yeah. And then I go to work. It's like, oh, that'll be a professional Fred now. He's got to, you know, my, even the, maybe the tone of my voice might go up a, vo- a note or two. That's a very miserable way to yeah, live. absolutely. And I noticed as I was coming up in my career that my white friends never code switched. They were, wherever they were, that's where they were. Wow. So if you got into their car and they were listening to Billy Joel, then Billy Joel stayed on the radio. 
But my white friends would get in my car and I'm listening to Jay-Z. I go, oop, I got to turn that off. <laughs> I think it's very severe yeah. as a black person to have to model into your world what you think I should be. Come on. Come God on. wants me to be who I am. Yeah. And who I am is good enough wherever I am. That's awesome. And so, like, if my friends at golf see this today, they know I'm challenging them in golf to share golf with more communities yes. in need. Yeah. If my people at Beck see this, they're going to go, amen. That's, he doesn't say amen at work, but he's saying the same yeah. things. You yeah. see, at FedEx, we're trying to give people the dignity of work. We're one of the largest employers in the country. And if we can help ordinary people have extraordinary lives through FedEx and through the jobs we provide, then that is a ministry. At Beck, we're trying to build buildings and build people while we're building those buildings so that communities can be better and people can have a better life. Yeah, yeah, that's and, awesome. And in the world of golf, we are trying to share the goodness in this game to communities in need so that those communities could be in touch with people that can change their lives. All of that is the same work. It's all congruent and it's all integrated. And I spend no energy separating out that work, just like I spend no energy separating out my life and my family. Awesome. Yeah. That's awesome. Um, you and I have a, 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 a dear friend in Marvin oh my and their family. Um, Marvin is truly one of the men that I admire. Um, he's going to, he spoke here many times, went to church until he had a move for the business and is with us. We, he contacts all the time. I watch the message and stuff. A lot of people don't know that Marvin came from, uh, his father was a sharecropper, dirt floor, no running water, to the CEO of Lowe's Home Improvement, not Home Depot, Lowe's <laughs> Home Improvement. And uh, you came out of the inner city. Your brother was killed. A lot of times we hear Christians say, well, I'm, I'm, I'm just trusting God. But when I hear Marvin's story and I hear your story, yes, there is that faith in trusting God, but something you said today, there's also hard work. Yeah. Can, yep. you, can, can you tell us about combining your faith, trusting God, but working hard too? Yeah. I don't want to go on a tangent, but, but since you mentioned Marvin, I have to tell you, not only am I here in the seat today because of Marvin, he is one of the great mentors in my life. Amen. Amen. And what a treat it is for me to have a man of faith, a man of family, a man of business, and also a man of color that I could look up to. Yes. Even before I knew Marvin, Marvin was mentoring me. Mm. Because I landed in Atlanta as a young executive, and I would hear the stories, and it would almost be like a whisper, you know, the president of Home Depot is actually black. And I said, really? And so I started Googling and reading about Mar Marvin long before I knew him. And then I would just look at him from afar, the way he carried himself, the excellence. Yeah. I could see his faith even without him talking about faith. Yeah. Yeah. And then we both were members of a nonprofit group, the 100 Black Men of Atlanta. 
and I was a young new member and Marvin was more established and he came to speak to our new member class. And I, that day I never got to him. So many people wanted to speak to him, but that was so inspirational to me. See, it is an extreme example for me to know that even people that you may not know may be inspired by your work. Exactly right. And getting to mm. know Marvin has been an extraordinary thing for me. I, I had no other mentor of color in business before I met Marvin. And I can assure you, however good he looks outside, he is much better yeah. on the inside. Yeah. Marvin is very likely to call you on a Saturday to tell you some things he learned. Yeah. Not from above you. Yeah. But, no. But beside you. Yeah. Together is a wonderful place to be. Yeah. Amen. And, you know, I, I want you to, if I'm, if I'm correct, I think Marvin's the CEO of Lowe's. Yeah. But he started uh, stocking shelves. A Target. So you, you mentioned <laughs> hard work. If, yep. if somebody's working six days, you're there. Yep. Yeah. You can't control a lot of things. One of the things I recognize as a black professional coming up, when I joined my company, I was 23 years old. There was no other black professional. Then we got acquired by a very large company, and there were no black professionals anywhere in this company. I'm talking about 1,000 workers, no, no professional staff, no black, actually no women. All white men in the boardroom, mm. all white men through the management team, no other black professionals. So it takes an irrational confidence to actually <laughs> look right. into a company like that that's and right. say, you know, I might be able to lead yeah, this company right. one day. But it also takes an unbelievable amount of mentoring and nurturing by the people that have those positions. I always say, we don't have a black problem in America. We have an American problem. And those Americans with the power seats, primarily white men, have to be on the leading edge of solving the problem. In my experience, most of my mentors were white men. Mm. I couldn't control whether they would give me the opportunity, but I could control how hard I worked, mm. and how well I treated people. Mm. My view on faith is the character that comes through faith. If we work hard with a, almost an unattachment to the outcome, I'm working hard because I'm wired to work hard. If I take care of the people around me, so I'm always mindful of those around me and I'm considerate to them, if I operate with honesty and integrity, I don't take a nickel of the company's proceeds that don't belong to me. If I am very transparent, if I work in a way that our faith tells us to work, and if I do that consistently, I know I'm going to be successful. Yeah. The only question is how successful I'll be. You can't control everything but you can't control your effort. Mm. And so you have to work unbelievably hard. Now, let me just say this. There are many of us, in my loneliest times, work almost became a crutch mm. for the whole inside of me. There have been times in my life where my work literally have taken me away from the people I love without impunity, with, with a lot of impunity. Mm -hmm. There have been times where I've used work as a crutch for not feeling good in myself. So we have to work hard, but we have to modulate that work 
to make sure that we're working within the context of the goodness we're trying to give to the world through our faith. And so I would encourage everyone to work really hard, but not in a way that it destroys your relationship with your wife. Mm. Not in a way where it makes you a stranger to your children. So you have to balance work, and you have to integrate work, and you have to make sure that you are giving good effort, but you're giving effort with a cause. And I can tell you today, for me, the humility I feel, mm. I have become the person I always wanted to be. Oh, wow. That's awesome. And there is no amount of material possession. There is no amount of titles. There is no amount of trophies on the shelf. And I have a lot of trophies. None of that can fill what's empty inside of you. Only Christ can do yes. that. Amen. That's awesome. That's awesome. Just a couple other questions, Marvin. I mean, Marvin. Right, if By the way, mind. it's a big compliment. Every time you yeah, think of Marvin, I like right. to think sometimes I'm the poor man's Marvin. You know what I mean? <laughs> you talked about uh, you don't take a nickel that belongs to the company that doesn't belong to you. How do you, as a man of faith, not everybody in business is going to be yeah. honest. Yeah. How do you? How do you? keep that integrity yeah. as a man of faith in business. Yeah, I, you know, Marvin and I talked about this actually as recently as yesterday. Mm. As I was coming up in business and I was looking for models and I'm in the commercial real estate business, we design and build buildings all over the country and some of the terrible actors in business are in real estate. Mm. And some of the most severe behavior, the I win, you lose, mm -hmm. the what I like to call the scarcity thinking. This pie is only so big, and I'm going to have the majority of the pie. Right. And as I was looking for models in business, there were many things I saw that I would not want to emulate, that I was not proud of. But then I thought about my mother, who had a ninth grade education, who built a little company after she left the club to own one cafeteria. And she had 16 employees. And they would serve lunch. And of course, if you grew up in this day and age, I always say to my kids, you were also employee number 17 and brother was 18, 19. <laughs> But I would watch how my mother behaved in business. No food went unused. All of the leftovers, she always knew sneakily which people in our neighborhood needed a meal that night, which elderly people in the community needed a dinner dropped mm -hmm. off, mm -hmm. which employees may need to take a little extra food home that she would drive around the neighborhood after leaving her business and just drop off foods, drop off the employees. I watched her use this business as actually a ministry to actually give 
to the community through her efforts. And here's the sneaky thing. The more she gave, the more we received. Amazing, huh? Yeah. And so yeah. I'm going to say this, and particularly to the young people in here, all of the lessons you need to be successful in life, you probably already know those lessons, and you probably learn them from your parents. You probably learned those lessons at church. So I actually didn't go to the senior people in my business to learn how to behave. I actually went back to my home because what good is success if you can't have significance? And significance is about your impact in the lives of people. It's going to be much easier in this stage of my life to make money than it is to make meaning. Mm. Wow. But I actually know, like a life well lived, is a life where you create meaning. And meaning can only be done serving other people and serving them in the name of the kingdom. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. It, it kind of ties in with when we stand before the Lord, he won't say, boy, you made a lot of money. No. But no. he will say, well done, yeah. thou yeah. good and faithful servant. So at Beck, we, we literally built a foundation to do this. We want to give 10% of everything we earn back to the community. We're building shelter for those in housing vulnerability all across our offices. We're actually partnering with the city. Uh, we have, there's a place, Bonton Farms. We're trying to give people a second chance in life. We literally are trying to express our faith through our work because when your work and your faith come together, then there is no tension. When the good work you do takes you closer to the life you always wanted, then there is no tension. Yeah. When the people that know you over here are also proud of you over there, then there is no tension. Mm. And for me, that's a meaningful life. And so what happens when you got everything you wanted, but you still don't have what you need, you lean into making meaning instead of making more money. Wow. Wow. And you learned that from your, from your mother. I learned that right in my home. Yeah. Ninth grade educated, right? My mother, my mother had a ninth grade education, education, but one of, you know, those of you who are black, you know, if you grow up with a praying mother, show of hands if you grew up in here with a praying mother, <laughs> well, you know... You know, your parents taught you lessons overtly. Yeah. Like my mother was That's right. sort of a big woman, and she liked to cook, which was great because I liked to eat. <laughs> and she would sing these old Negro spirituals, and Come that on. was a big part of our home. And, you know, even when Abby and I first got mar married, remember Abby? She'd come, uh, she, our kids were young, she'd come and take over our kitchen for a summer. And, uh, Mama and would. Mama would, yeah. And every now and again, Abby, would, you know, she got kicked out of the kitchen, but mom, <laughs> mom would take over, and she would always be singing Negro spiritual Come hymns. On. That's all she did. And now when I reflect back on the lessons she was teaching, she was teaching us through the things she was singing, and she was teaching us through how she prayed. Yeah. And one of her favorite songs, I think about this all the time, Lord, let the work that I do speak for me. Mm. Oh, wow. When I'm wow. resting in my grave 
and there's nothing left to wow. be said. Let the work that I've done speak for me. Wow, that's awesome. If, if I can ask you maybe one, maybe two more questions, and I don't want to wear you out, but... Uh, uh, I don't want to wear you out. Oh, man, are you kidding me? <laughs> I'm in heaven right now. Preach it, preach it. Um, Marvin came from dirt floors. You came from inner city. I came from inner city. They had a saying uh, in the streets, once a junkie, always a junkie. You'll never get out. I always, I always say um, inner city is like an open-air prison. Very few get out. Yeah. And uh, I became a, a, a drug dealer. I became a, a, a junkie out of that. But I, but I got out because I, I, had, I had a mother that, even though we never went to church, she wasn't allowed to take us to church. She would tell us she's praying for us. And I had an aunt that always prayed for me, sent me my Bible when I was in the middle of a drug deal. Um, how, what do you say to people on not having a mentality of I'll never change, I'll never get out, to a mentality is, you know what? Between God and hard work, I can get anywhere. Yes, yes. I want to just say amen to that. <laughs> um, you know, in our country, we have infrastructure that kind of traps people. Having grown up in a tough neighborhood, it is easy to recognize that good people can get caught up in really bad things. It is, it is really difficult to change and to help people looking down on people. Mm. I think we have to be more willing to live with people. That's one of the things that I feel like has been a blessing in my life because those people are my people. And I watch family members struggle. I watch family members who are really talented, good people get caught up in really bad things. Mm -hmm. And I think to give up on communities is really to give up on God. Come on. Because Come on. he has the power to change. And so we cannot change people talking at them. We can only change people by living with them. Amen. And so, you know... For me, it's been really interesting, like when I think about my life, and I think about the life of some of the kids we're working with today through our mentorship programs at Beck. You know, we have some young kids that have had skirmishes with the law that we're trying to teach how to have good jobs in construction, but we can't just bring them and train them. We have to teach them how to go get an apartment. We have to teach them how to take care of a bank account. We have to teach them why recreational drug use is not good. We have to give them, you know, tools, you know, to actually sustain their life. Mm. We have to give them mentoring. Most importantly, we have to give them a piece of our heart. Yes. And we have to let make sure they know that we care about them. We don't just want them to have a good job, but we want them to have a good life. And so for me... The power of mentorship and the power of service is the intervention that happens in people's life. I had a coach that literally picked me up 
at 5 a.m. every morning from my inner city neighborhood. Mm. He would pick nine of us up in a little jitney bus, and he would drive us to the track, and then he would take us for breakfast, and then he would drop us to school, and then he would pick us up at 3.30, and he would take us back to practice, and then he would drop us home at 7, maybe sometimes with a dinner, maybe with a snack, but when we were so tired from two-a-day practices, all you had time to do was have your dinner and go to bed. He literally wore us out six days a week. He was intervening in our life. Yeah, that's right. That's right. We, we all stand under trees that we didn't plant. That's right. You and that's I right. drink from wells that we didn't yeah, dig. That's right. So when we get to this point, we ought to plant some trees mm. and dig some wells. Oh, man. What, one more, and, and it just ties into a thought that dropped in my spirit as you were saying that. King David said, King David said, Lord, remind me of the pit from which I was yeah. dug. And that's not saying I'm a nobody, I'm there, but remind me where I came from so I'm not talking yeah. down the, yeah. to people. And, uh, you know, I, I see it in the ministry. I see it in the ministry where somehow God graces you as a pastor and nobody can talk to you, nobody can get near you. Um, I had a great, great, great man who was a pastor, but he ended up leaving that to speak God's principles in Fortune 500 companies and stuff. And he said to me, he said, just off the top of your head, just out of your heart, what do we need in the ministry? And I just said, shepherds who still smell like sheep. Mm. You are you are obviously tremendously successful. Marvin is. But the thing that grabbed me when I know Marvin and met you is you're just like a, a, one of the guys. How do you stay at the top and remember those who need to come up the same way you did? How do you how do you how do you keep that humility? Pride comes before a fall, and we see that out to speak in the ministry, and I'm sure you see that in business. You and Marvin are just great examples of humility. How do you, how do you keep that? Well, I got Abby. There you go. <laughs> All right. Good night, everybody. Thank you for coming. No, the people that love you, the people that love you the most, tell you what you need to hear, not what you want to hear. We've seen many people, we've seen many leaders surround themselves with people who will not tell them the truth. Yeah, yeah. We've seen, we've seen executives switch out wives because they don't want to hear the truth. We've seen people get rid of management teams and bring in people around them because they don't want to hear the truth. The people that love you most intensely always tell you the truth. See, in the audience today is my chief of staff, Eric, who is also one of my best friends, mm. who is also my college roommate. I like to say, if I ran for governor of Texas and I started my campaign on Monday, Eric could end it on Tuesday. <laughs> By telling things. Because he knows yeah, all the secrets. Amen. Under the blood, Eric. It's all <laughs> under the blood. He could end it on Tuesday. And then I met Abby when I was 18, so... The good, the bad, and the ugly of life we've gone through. Yeah. I have not 
always been a saint. I'm a sinner just like all of God's children. But I'm trying to be a good man. So she knows the imperfections. And so humility is not thinking less of yourself. It is thinking more about others. So when you try to think about a humble life, it is not, God does not want us to play small. Right. I'm a six foot seven black man. I'm not going to be small anyway. Yeah. God wants me to be big, to inspire people, to build a bigger umbrella so that more people could stand under it. But he also wants me to think more about people around me. That is humility. Not thinking less of yourself, but thinking more of others. And so for me, that's the way I want to operate. I want my kids to know that in this crazy life that we have built, could you imagine growing up with parents who live check to check, lights get turned off, water get turned off, seven years, no phone because we couldn't pay the phone bill. Seven people in in, uh, one bathroom, two bedrooms. Could you imagine going from that life in one lifetime from 17 years old to that life, the being the CEO of a multi-billion dollar company 20 years later? Can you imagine that journey? Mm. And the only thing that allows you to keep that all in context is the love of God and the love of your family and people praying and caring for you. And you can't do that by yourself. Amen. That's awesome. All right, one last and then I'm going to let you go. Uh, I was just reading some articles on you last <laughs> night, and in one article it said you're amazingly successful. Mm. It says you dress so well you could be in the GQ magazine. Mm. Did Abby write that article? Well, that, that was my question. And then it said you're so handsome you could be Sidney Portier stand-in. Ooh. Did he write that himself? <laughs> <laughs> we uh, we want to thank you so much for unbelievable busy schedule of coming and being with us leave us with one one last nugget of i mean what you just said with god and family is yeah that's the key but anything you want to leave with well us. i you know i would like to close just by telling you all that you all are modeling what america needs most and that's togetherness i wish our city looked like this. Mm. I wish our company looked like this. I wish the world of golf looked like this. But you all are modeling a life that more people need to see. One of my favorite poets is Aeschylus. And he has a poem that I'd like to close with. And it kind of, I've memorized this poem, but I thought I'd be nervous, so I didn't want to go from memory, (laughs) but it's one of the reminders of a life like mine, where God can take you from the least of these and put you up with the greatest of these. Abby and I had the opportunity to go to the Middle East in the world of golf last summer, and we literally had a state dinner thrown for us with the I want to get this right with the, uh, I think the king, maybe the crown prince of the UAE. Yeah. His yeah. highness. Yeah. The number one guy. Yeah. And they sat us on his right, me and Abby. Abby was one of only two women there. And they served us all of this food. 
and the Bible says your gifts will take you. Right. And it will literally put you before kings and yeah. queens. That's right. That's right. And I know, I know that the pain and the suffering, no mother can lose a child without a broken heart. That I have experienced in my life and watched my parents experience, I know that was not for nothing. Right. I know that God has a way of using us. And so Aeschylus in this poem says, even in our sleep, pain we cannot forget falls drop by drop upon the heart until in our own despair against our will comes wisdom through the awful grace of God. Mm. Wow. What we need in America is more togetherness. Yes. And together, church, is a wonderful place to be. Amen. Thank you guys for today. Oh. Would you stand? I want to ask you one more thing. Would you say a prayer? I was going to have just our young people come up and you to pray over them, Fred, as a mentor, but I, I believe there's anointing through association, and so I think we all can use this prayer. Would you pray for us? Lift your hands this way, folks, church. Go ahead, sir. Lord, I want to thank you for everything you have done in my life. I want to thank you for Pastor Larry and for Tiz. I want to thank you for the blessings you are bestowing into our community through them. Lord, even when we are not at our best, we know you are still after our hearts. Lord, we have a time in our country where there is absolute division. Yes. We know that only through love, only through love and unity can we be the people you are calling us to be. Lord, I want to thank you. I want to praise you. And I want to tell you on behalf of all of the people in my life and in behalf of the people who sowed in, into my life, that the commitment to keep living mm. the way you want us to live mm. will never be broken. Lord, thank you for this church and thank you for this time where we can fellowship. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. How many want Fred and Abigail to come back again? <laughs> Done. <laughs> How many believe Cowboys can win? Oh, never mind. Never mind. Thank you, sir. Would you give him a great big hand again? Thank you, sir.